Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various aspects of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane, aka Bobby Kane. No, and, um, not Rick aka Gromlich. Bobby. <laughs> and who are you? Yeah. Did you Bobby. already say your name? I Rick just Gromlich. said it. Okay. I said it. I You're said Rick Gromlich. Gromlich. Aka Ricky. You're Bob. Mm. No, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just mean. That's just darn downright mean. All right, Ricky, what are we getting anyway. into today? Oh, so we're going to talk about the grace of the Lord and his uh, the covenant theology. We're talking about hey, Joel you. chapter three, yep. the end of Joel, and uh, God's promises for His people. So what's that mean uh, for us? As our hope is in the Lord establishing His rule and His reign, and what that means. Yep. Enjoy. How's it going, Rob? It's going really well because this new device seems to have worked on the first try. Sent back the the Zoom pod track that we were using, Mm -hmm. and they sent me a different one. And I didn't turn off the clock. You can probably hear that. But And uh, this is my first time testing it, us recording, and zero issues. Rob, is there a reason your clock's chiming at 150? Yeah. That means it's off. Grandfather clocks <laughs> oh, <it's> aren't. <laughs> that means we need to adjust it slightly. Yes, so. It's not a precise instrument of time. We always have to adjust it slightly for whatever reason. I think mm. just over time it slightly gets off. It's like and spiritual, your spiritual rhythms. Yeah, I suppose. you got to tighten those things up. Mm, there's an illustration there somewhere. Yep. But yeah, that's why. Because it thinks that it is... 145 and it's 151 mm-hmm. so we gotta tighten the pendulum a little bit so it goes back and forth a little quicker there you go clearly it's speaking a little slow. of pendulums mm. um what's your plans for thanksgiving <laughs> what <laughs> how does that have to do with anything with pendulums it's the question. You'll find out. <laughs> okay. Okay. So on Sunday, we had Thanksgiving with my mom and my sister and her you husband. Are, you guys already did it. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. it was great. Okay. One of the, the best Thanksgiving meals I've ever had. My mom did a tremendous job. And Way that was best. great. Enjoyed that time. Her girls loved it, hanging out at Grandma Beth's. And now, Lord willing, on Thanksgiving Day, we'll be with Danielle's family. Okay. There you go. Good little yeah. family action there. Yeah, well, what are you doing? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Um, uh, we're going down to Candace's siblings, her brother, sister, and dad live in Cincinnati. So down we'll Cincy. Going down there. Cincy. Queen City. The big city of Cincy. Um, but more important than that, Rob, are you um, a Manchester City fan now? I'm not. I am an Everton oh. fan. Everton won, won, won the... Uh, the competition. They lost to Man City because that's what we were planning on doing initially. In fact, they got destroyed by Man City, three okay. nothing. <clears throat> yeah, and that was initially our plan. Mm-hmm. But right before that, some Change new information point. surfaced. Some okay. breaking news came across our wire, and what we realized was that Everton has a local bar here in Columbus, just for 
like Everton fans. I mean, obviously other people can go in, but they have like it's an it's supposed to be an Everton FC place mm-hmm. um, to watch the game. And Man City, to our knowledge, not have anything like that here in Columbus. So we we're like, hey, look, there's already like a decent group of Everton fans here, and I think the crew, the Columbus crew, their old goalkeeper is like the backup or something like that for Everton. So there's a little bit of Columbus okay. connection there. Okay. So we we're like, hey, sweet, let's uh, let's go with Everton then. So decision that's what we did. Made. And yes, then they got the killed. Yeah. So uh, did you make this are, decision before the game or after? Yeah, before the game. Before the game. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yep. And then one of the guys texts. He's like, he t- showed the score. He's like, you guys still on board for Everton? <laughs> we still <laughs> like, good, good with this. He was the one that was yeah. kind of lobbying for Everton. And we're like, yep, yeah. we're in, man. We're in. Hey, and, and the thing is, I mean, you're a Steelers fan, so this doesn't exactly apply to you. I don't know who all is in your group, but being from Ohio and Ohio sports teams, um, you're pretty well used to to that. Except for the Buckeyes. Sh- shellacked. The Buckeyes. All the time. The Buckeyes are looking good. They shellacked yes. as far Michigan as State professional this weekend. Sports teams. Which is funny because Ben, our other elder, we had our men's retreat, and Saturday, that was like the big event, just watching the Ohio State Michigan game, or Michigan State game, I should say. Mm-hmm. And and bro, by halftime, I don't know if you're watching it. Halftime, forty nine nothing, Ohio State. Yeah. So Ben, who's our our other elder, um, was getting blown up with text messages from his friends, and he's sitting there. He's like, if one more person tries to give me a high five about how good Michigan State's playing, he's like, is he a Michigan State fan? Yeah, he's a big he's a big Michigan State fan. I didn't know that. But he's a good sport about it. He's I like, yeah, I kind of figured we were gonna get beat like this. So yeah, hey, he, that's he how it happens. Sour. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. So hopefully that continues. But yeah, Ohio fans in general have not had a lot of um, success stories outside of the Buckeyes. So Everton might be right up our, our alley. But Everton's won like nine, um, I don't know if it's Champions Cups or UEFA Cups or Premier League Cups. I don't know. I'm still learning about all this stuff. But a lot to learn. They've had a, they have a good history, but recently they haven't been great. Well... Um, Along that line, hmm. Israel has um, a good history, okay, but okay. not the greatest as of late. Okay, there you go. Okay. I see. Right. Uh, right. I see what you did there. So, so today we are wrapping pendulum. up. Joel. Speaking of pendulums, Israel yeah. has not had Speaking a great of, history. <laughs> Speaking of soccer, Israel. <laughs> Speaking Ooh. of Liverpool, uh, England, Israel. Uh, no, right. we are wrapping up. Joel today. So we're covering the last few Wrapping chapter, few verses of Joel. Um, and so 17 through 21, Joel chapter 3. Rob, I'm going to read those. And Take then you away. can tell us, is this for the literal nation state of Israel? <laughs> or is this for the church? All right, take it away. Here we go. Again, Joel chapter 3, verse, picking up in verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever. 
and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, we so. see Joel wrapping this up, talking about um, this final Lord's, some would say, his final kind of working with the nations around Israel, bringing judgment to them, but bringing flourishment, life, um, back to Israel. So, Rob, hmm. what do you think? Is this a promise that's yet to come for the nation-state of Israel, or is this something that is fulfilled in the church? Yeah, so I would say as— And I'll just I'll say, listeners, I did not give Rob any heads up on this, which was yeah, probably very that. unfair. Yeah, I so. uh, appreciate that. But no, I'm ready for the most part. If I say something <laughs> foolish, right. then just blame Rick. Um, I would say this, <laughs> I mean, this is what for I the do. church. This is for the people of God in the Old Testament, um, mm-hmm. identified as the people of Israel, and mm-hmm. in the New Testament, identified as spiritual Israel. So nation Israel in the Old Testament, spiritual Israel in the New Testament. And if I had more time, I'd be able to share some verses out of Romans that I think help justify that, uh, Romans 2, and I believe the other one's in Romans 10. But I don't have those verses ready, Rick. Mm. But essentially, yeah. that one is a Jew— um, not by circumcision of the flesh, but, but by circumcision of the heart. And one is not um, a Jew outwardly in mm-hmm. the new covenant. And the reason for that is because Jesus was a Jew. And as you read the New Testament, one of the things that you consistently see in Ephesians, I believe it's Ephesians 1, highlights this big time, is union with Christ and to be mm-hmm. unified with the faithful Jew, Jesus, mm-hmm. is to be brought into the body of the faithful Jew, Jesus. And so if we are in Christ, in that faithful Jewish man, then we are seen as faithful Jews. And so therefore, mm-hmm. we may not be eth- ethnically Jews, mm-hmm. but we are spiritually Jews. And so therefore, when he talks about um, these future blessings to Israel, he's referring to the people of God. And in the Old Testament, we saw that as national Israel. In the New Testament, we see that as spiritual Israel. And I think Romans, I believe it's it's either 9, 10, or 11, um, somewhere in there, there's it talks about the remnant. And so there's still mm-hmm. some, some wiggle room there for... Mm-hmm. Um, the nation of Israel to repent, and there's going to be a small amount that repent. Um, and I haven't done a lot of study on that passage, so I might be mm-hmm. speaking out of the wrong side of my mouth there. But from my understanding of that passage, just off the cuff, is that there it does leave some room for some of national Israel to repent and be brought in. But all in all, when we see these promises to Israel, we are we see those fulfilled in the person of Jesus and all of those who are united to Jesus, the faithful Jew, the faithful Israelite, they receive those blessings through him. Well done, Rob. What would you I'll say now that there. you had some? Yeah, so I I really didn't think about this until I asked you that question, but I would say I am, uh, <laughs> well like done. most things in my life, <laughs> all right, let's dive in. Um, I'm sympathetic to the more dispensational view of there's still promises yet for the nation state of Israel, but I'm not there. Um, and if I'm pressed, I'm, I would just lean generally more covenantal and say, um, 
yeah, I think I I think I'm in safe territory saying there's there's definitely the Lord's people after after um, uh, the uh, day of Pentecost is the church, the Lord building His church. That's His mode of redemption through the church. Um, yeah. Romans 11 talking about grafting His people in. It has some language that again. It's kind of confusing. It does sometimes lends itself to uh, the church being grafted back into the people of Israel, but I don't see there being two means or two kind of vehicles of salvation or redemption for God's people. Um, so when I read this text, I would, as although I when I first read it, it does seem pretty specific uh, about like actual places, actual things, not metaphorical. Um, but yeah, I'm more, I'm more. I lean more, as you would say, covenantal, just believing that this is for the church. And I would say, though, having, like, when you read about this, um, not to make it um, not matter, but either way you apply it, it's a great encouragement and great hope for believers, right? So if you believe this is for, um, that this is directly for the nation state of Israel when the Lord comes he's going to establish his kingdom and, and do all these things or if you believe more than this is the church this is metaphorical um, this is the Lord working out his plan for redemption for his people and I just love the first line of verse 17 so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion my, my holy mountain and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it so the Lord just clearly separating himself from all the other things of the earth and he you know the previous passage in, in chapter three talking about um some, some judgment that's going to come and uh how the church uh his judgment is going to be brought and the lord is going to um uh what's the what's the verse here um not the church but the, the sun and the moon are going to be darkened and so it's like desperation mm. and on the heels of that you see the lord's redemption yeah, yeah, I think it's important to note there in verse 17 how this happens. This, I mean, right before that was verse 16, believe it or not, and that says that the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. God is a refuge and a stronghold to his people, and the reason that he is that is so that they may know that he is the Lord, that he is God. And so God doing this act of salvation should lead to us knowing who he is, knowing his presence and knowing the fact that he removes our sin and he removes our shame. And then when we read about Zion there, we this was mentioned earlier um, in 2.1. So um, where Joel 2, the first verse there, Zion is the place of the Lord's throne. The word, um, and so... Sorry, that's not what it says. That's the note I have on it. The Zion is the place of the Lord's throne. But if you look at um, Joel 2, verse 1, you'll see Zion being referenced. And, and what we see is yeah. that this is the original stronghold. This is where mm -hmm. God's promise of his intimate residence among his people, this is how the ESV is putting it, is in what he calls Zion, his holy mountain, as we see in verse 17. And this Jerusalem where his people dwell. So we see a lot of what, what I would say is, is figurative language. So mm -hmm. Jerusalem <clears throat> is the place where God dwells and where his people dwell. And we see Zion being the mountain where his, his dwelling is. And so wherever God is, there will be holiness. 
And so when he says, you, I am your stronghold, and I am a refuge for my people, so that you may know that I am the Lord, so that I, you may know that I am the Lord your God. When he then talks about where they are, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. So if mm-hmm. God dwells in Zion, then the mountain's holy. If God and his people are in Jerusalem, then it's mm-hmm. also holy, which we see in verse 17. And Jerusalem shall be holy. Right. The place where God's people are, the people who know him. And in the very next phrase, and strangers shall never again pass through it. There's a day yeah. where there is a, there's going to be a new Jerusalem established. And this new Jerusalem, you can hear the clock striking. There's a day where the final judgment will strike. <laughs> <laughs> the, the clock goes. We're all out of time. <laughs> exactly. Um, but where it will be God and his people. And this new Jerusalem is going to be full of those who know God. And those who are strangers who do not know God will not be there. So when we mm-hmm. read about the Lord providing salvation, the Lord providing refuge for his people... Who, and that he is the Lord who dwells in Zion, his holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, Jerusalem where his people are. So you see where God is, it's holy, and then this new Jerusalem is going to be where his people are, they're holy, and it's going to be full of people who know him, not strangers. Yeah. Right now, even yeah. right now in the new covenant, there are people who come to church, who take the signs of the new covenant, baptism and the Lord's Supper, claiming to be followers of Jesus, who at the end of the day, Matthew 7 tells us, will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? And he's going to say, away from me. I never knew you. And so they were strangers. And there are strangers, even today in our churches, who claim to know God, who don't actually know God. And when he comes and establishes his new Jerusalem, it will only be with those who know him. Which I think is um, an argument to the side of... um, just the covenantal side that we're talking about, a metaphor for the church. Yeah, um, I think, but it does I think remind it should be me said of, that pretty much everything that I'm going to say is going to be from the covenantal side, not the dispensational side. Well, I know, but side. I'm just, um, hopefully if that was not a clear connection, <clears throat> yes, that clear. Um, but, you know, in Islam, there's there's Mecca, and, and Mecca is like the, the most holy place, and you, like, no, um, no one can go there unless you're like a devout Muslim. Hmm. You can't, as a tourist, you can't just get in to this the temple there and um there's a word a name for their uh i can't think of the name anyway but just there there's a there's a semblance there of kind of similar to this but even in that like there's no way to to dictate are these true muslims are these people truly devout or are they just saying they're devout whereas um the lord establishes his throne like he has the ability Right, to yeah. only allow genuine, fa- genuine believers, those who are in his family, um, into his, uh, um, into the into the Jerusalem or the, the holy city. Yeah, that Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem that we're, I was referencing, that I think you're referencing as well, is um, ultimately we see in um, Revelation is where that consummation of it takes place. Revelation twenty one twenty seven, but nothing unclean will ever enter it this new Jerusalem, mm-hmm. nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but yeah. only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm-hmm. So we see this this coming Jerusalem is being promised in Revelation 21 there. Now, yeah. Rick, <clears throat> um, moving on to verse 18, 
we see yeah. this these references to wine and to milk and to water. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, so wine is a um, it's okay, a byproduct. I, I see of what you're saying here. <laughs> so um, yeah, so so in verse eighteen and nineteen, we see kind of the outcome of verse seventeen. So seventeen, the Lord's established His throne, His holiness, and so verse eighteen, um, the Lord begins to like because of His His presence, like the land flourishes. Whereas we saw in chapter one, even chapter two, and part of chapter three, like. Uh, there's desolation, there's destruction, um, there's things that are, the, the land's kind of stripped bare, different parts of different passages talking about judgment, and then you see the Lord begin to restore. So the mountains just flow and dripping with wine, right? It's, mm. it's in abundance. Uh, the hills like flow with milk, which uh, you, you can go to the grocery store and buy like 20 gallons of milk if you want, but that's such a rare thing. <laughs> like historically, like milk was not, you couldn't just, you know, make a pile of milk out in your backyard if you wanted yeah, to yeah. back in the day. Couldn't do it. So just um, things that are of great price, great commodities, you see them just being lavished. Um, the streams of Judah shall flow with water, so there's no more desolation. There's no more dryness. Um, the fountains shall come forth from the house of the Lord, the water, and water the valley of Shittim. And this idea that it's from the Lord. Easy on the right? S-sharps it's not, there, man. It's, what's that? I said easy on the S-sharps. It's a family <laughs> program. How would you how would you pronounce it? I don't want to pronounce it. You got it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's how I feel. Um, <laughs> so, um, but that's that's like the 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 source, the fountainhead, if you will. It's like it's the Lord's providence. So you see that in verse eighteen, right? So this is the Lord, His people, His um, provision for them, and then you see in verse nineteen His judgment, right? So Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness. Why? For the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Now, people will talk about some historical events that happened where um, a couple, so several pharaohs invaded uh, Judah and different things. And so people want to kind of have interpretations there. But just broadly speaking, the Lord's bringing judgment against those who have persecuted his people. Um, so desolation, desolate wilderness. The things that the Lord, judgment that the Lord saw the Lord bring, in some ways against his people. Are you in a kennel? Are you running a, a dog kennel Dude, there? I, the clock's going, the air's going, my dog's the barking The mailman's now. there. Of course. Gracious. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> so what so I get for recording at home instead of the office. <laughs> it's all good, man. Thanks. This is, this is life. This, this is, is life. Us. Um, no, but you, see, you do see the Lord bringing his judgment against those who are against his people. And... Um, it's not it's not just a simple like a rough time ahead right because yeah. the lord brought judgment against the nation of israel but he also did so with yet a promise of redemption yeah not so with verse 18 um because verse 19 clarifies it says but judah shall shall be inhabited forever and jerusalem to all generations which again is um eschatological language, but mm-hmm. also uh, you see the picture of dominance of these people over verse 18. So so no longer will Egypt or Edom be able to come in and, and subdue the nations, the nation of Israel, God's people, right, and, and, and separate them. God's people are secure. Yeah, real quick, um, could you define eschatological? It's a, it's a big theological the eschat- term. The things uh, pertaining to the end times. There so um, that's a good 
theological definition there. Yeah. But so, verse yeah. 21, I don't know if you're running into verse 21 yet or not, but... No, I, I was just going to reiterate what you said. That reiterate. Lord, it's interesting Clarify. to note that at the beginning of, of Joel, that the Lord was talking about the scarcity of everything, mm-hmm. that th- this judgment was going to bring great drought, and that these locusts came in and um, destroyed crops, and um, there, there was no wine, and uh, there's no food, and then after that, an army comes, whether that's the locusts again, whether that's a physical army. Mm-hmm. We talked about that debate, but they destroy things even worse. And now the Lord, as this book comes to an end, is talking about that the the hills shall flow with milk, the mountains will drip sweet wine, the stream of Israel shall flow with water, and the, mount, and the fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. So like we see this now, this overflowing of provision that the Lord will bring judgment on his people because the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. But that's not the last word if, you're, if you are in Christ. The last mm-hmm. word is this overflowing of provision that the Lord may discipline you for a season to bring you back but ultimately, if you are in Christ, there is a, an immense blessing coming at this end time when the Lord mm-hmm. does, in fact, provide this new Jerusalem. That's why when it comes to the prosperity gospel, that's why that that is such an insidious thing, because it takes mm-hmm. some truths that, yes, like God's people will be rich. God's people will be richly blessed. They will be, they will have much but it's taking some eschatological promises, mm. some end times promises that come at the consummation when Christ returns, and it says, no, today you should be rich. You yeah. should have material wealth today. And it mm. is an over-realized, the term is an over-realized eschatology. Yeah. And so it's not that those who are preaching a prosperity gospel have it totally wrong, because there is these promises of even material wealth at the end times, like mm-hmm. overflowing with milk mm-hmm. and wine and, and honey, like there's going to be much provision. But to say that it's for now, that if you are a Christian now, you should have material wealth is is taking it a step too far. And that's, that's the most dangerous of lies is that there's a little bit of truth mixed in. The most, the most dangerous lies aren't just blatantly false. They're false with a little bit of truth mixed in, because you can point yeah. to some verses and say, "See, this is this is why we yeah. believe this." It says it right here. Yeah. That's why it's so important to know the whole canon of Scripture. And then, mm-hmm. to just to reiterate what you were talking about with verse nineteen um, and twenty, we see the enemies of God being judged. See His people restored; they have much, and then we see the enemies of God being judged. That Egypt being desolate, Edom becomes mm. a desolate wilderness. Violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land, and then we just we see God bringing this judgment upon Israel's enemies, and we see God restoring Israel. And so there's yeah. this, this yeah. twofold promise that God will provide for His people, and He will be a refuge and a stronghold for them, and they will be taken care of. And then two, the promise that judgment is coming for the enemies, for the mm-hmm. strangers of God. Yeah. No. Okay, now you can go into 21. Well, I just, yeah. Um, so 21, I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And there's a little bit of uh, conversation in commentaries about w- what exactly this means. Um, but most people, I think, agree it, it 
means the Lord will avenge the blood that he has not yet avenged. Um, and again, I think this is a connection to more of a covenantal view of the passage. Uh, but the Lord, there are those who have violated, who have wronged, and the Lord will avenge their blood. Um, and he does that primarily because the Lord dwells in Zion. So he, he's present. He's just. He will not just overlook these things. Even though he has not brought judgment for this thing, he will yet bring judgment for that. Um, and Rob, you can jump on if you have a different take on that, but I would say just in general that that's an encouragement for us as there are th many things in the world that it feels like justice is not being done. Hmm. Um, yeah. And it hasn't been done by human hands yet, Yeah. but all justice will be proper, properly and perfectly done by yeah. God. That's true. I mean, even today with our justice system, when something terrible happens, they try to, people try to find a reason why. Okay, were they part of a, a religious group that was radical, a terrorist group? Um, was there a relationship that went sour? Was there, and they tried to come up with all of these excuses for evil. Like, mm -hmm. what, what caused this? When mm -hmm. in reality, mm -hmm. there may be a, a legitimate excuse, but in reality, we are just living in a wicked world where right. evil has continued to go on. But, and, and you see that where people are trying to make sense of wicked things that take place. But you also see when, when justice systems try to hand out justice, people are still upset because they feel like yeah. not enough justice was done. Yeah. And yeah. it's this inner longing for an answer as to why there's evil in the world on one mm -hmm. hand, and then an answer on the other hand for why isn't there justice in the world? And yeah. both of these answers are answered satisfac satisfactorily, satisfactorily, mm -hmm. or however you want to say that. I'm sure there's a better way. I like in, that way. That's in good. the Christian worldview, that, yeah. that we are living in a wicked world, an evil world, because we're fallen, because we've rebelled against mm -hmm. God. And all of it will be judged perfectly yeah. and righteously in Christ. Mm -hmm. That day is coming. We see um, um, the uh, the ESV study Bible, which is what I use for a lot of this. Super helpful resource, guys. If you don't already have it, highly recommend it. It doesn't get everything right, so don't view it as <laughs> as canon, it's but it's incredibly helpful. Really, the, the, first, the notes. first study, yeah, the notes. obviously the scripture is totally it. Okay. <laughs> I'm like caveating so much right now. Um, Love the ESV. Don't yeah. trust it, but get it. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> um, the uh, note that they have on verse 19 says, The nations poured out blood, but the Lord will pour out his spirit. And that's so good. Like we see at the end of this, just the Lord talking about how I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged. And so the nations were, were pouring out the blood of God's people, and he will make it right. And rather than pour out blood, he's going to pour out his spirit. His people will receive his spirit, and ultimately his people will be brought in. And on that day, there's that clock again, on that day, <laughs> when the judgment bell strikes. <laughs> dun, dun. That's what, that the, was, that's what the, the trumpet's going to sound like. That was really good timing both times. Um, but yeah, uh, Christ will bring judgment. And so we see his enemies pour out blood, but God pours mm -hmm. out spirit. 
It is a great encouragement, I think, for us to know. I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the news about justice with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing and Mud Aubrey trial, all these things that yeah. our hearts long for justice, but our hearts don't have the capacity to know to like execute full justice, yeah, or even to appreciate full justice. So we need to keep that in mind that our natural as Christians bent is to see justice brought. Hmm. Yeah. And we should f- contend for that. Yeah, and advocating this, for justice is not doesn't make you a proponent of CRT or does make you a social correct. justice warrior. Neither of those things. Right. Yeah, am Absolutely. I a, a proponent of. However, yeah. we should be we should rejoice with justice and we should pursue justice. Yeah. Um in knowing that there's limits to it. Yes. So this isn't like a caveat, like contend for justice, but actually don't because it's, it's limited. No, but contend for it. I mean, this is what Micah calls us to, Micah 6, right? Yep. But Do justice, know that it will never f- be fully done. It won't be perfect. It won't be done completely right until the Lord brings his justice. Because so, we're contending for something that is still yet broken. That's right. In the hopes and the shadows of what is the perfect judge and the perfect justice that is to come. Yeah, because when we when we wrap our hope into us achieving perfect justice, then we become a social justice church where all mm-hmm. we care about are social issues. And that's not to say that we don't care about social issues. We should, but mm-hmm. we should constantly be reorienting people's hearts and people's minds to Christ, to the justice that's going to come through him. He should be the comfort mm-hmm. that we have when our efforts fall short, when our justice system falls short, when fill in the blank falls short, because this mm-hmm. world will come short of the longings that you have. And so, yes, pursue justice, but don't elevate justice above the gospel. The, right. It's not gospel, an either or. Yeah, the gospel is Priority. where perfect justice is going to be taken place, that your sin is taken away and you are made right with God because every bit of your sin has been taken away through faith in Christ. Or all of your sin will be paid for by you for eternity because you have sinned mm-hmm. against an eternal God. One of those things right. are going to take place, and perfect justice will be handed out. But if you are in Christ and you can come into Christ freely through faith alone— mm-hmm then that perfect justice is taken care of by Christ on the cross where he paid for your sin. So point people to that. Don't don't make your church about social justice movements. Make it about the greatest justice that is coming in Christ. Point people back to him. Amen. Well, Rob, anything else you'd have on Joel? No, sir. No, sir. Right. This is the last episode of the season. What a season. There, we year. might we might do one bonus episode. We'll see. But the Lord tarries, and so do we. We might. <laughs> the Lord that tarries. Clock keeps striking. That's it. That's right. <laughs> Just gotta start talking about the end times again. It'll sh- it'll strike. I'm sure. <laughs> it'll right, strike guys. right there at like what uh, two twenty five or two thirty seven or something like that. That's it. Just random times. All right, guys, if you want to learn more about the podcast, head over to simpletheology.org where you can see previous episodes. You can see ratings and reviews. You can also support the podcast if you so choose. Um, Your generous support has lended itself to good cups of coffee. Thank you very much for that. And a new mic that Rick is operating with. So thank you for that. So if you notice that his voice sounds a little bit clearer, that's because of your generosity. So thank you all. Thank you all very, very much for your kind and generous support. We really do appreciate it. So if we don't 
doing a bonus episode. Hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving, great Christmas. We'll plan on coming back to you, Lord willing, at the beginning of the year in January. If we do drop a bonus episode, then that will, Lord willing, be in December sometime. So keep an eye out on your podcast feed for that. But other than that, I got nothing else. Peace. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.